Good morning. It is truly a pleasure to be with you uh, this morning. I have heard, I learned a forefront about a year ago um, through ministry work with your pastor, Jonathan, and have had the opportunity since then to get to know Myra and other members of this congregation. And so I've been anxiously awaiting for an opportunity to come from Houston, Texas, that is home for me, uh, to be in fellowship with you in worship. I didn't imagine speaking, um, but I am really grateful that I I've been in Paris for the past month doing an artist residency. I'm an artist. Um, and so I'm thankful that yesterday I came through New York. And so I was able to be with you here this morning. So thank you for your welcome and hospitality. This morning I'm going to be talking about grief, something we all love to talk about. <laughs> right? Um, and I'll be talking about it from the perspective of a Christian Hebrew practice, and that is lament. Because people who walk in the way of Jesus Christ and follow the God of Jesus Christ, we walk and carry our grief in a way that holds to hope. So we even grieve differently in the world. And when we do that, I believe that it is light to this world that desperately needs to know how to grieve. Desperately needs to know the healing power of God's grace and love. And so people who follow that way, we not only bear witness through the way in which we grieve, but we also receive a healing and restoration that we too need. There are a lot of scriptures in our biblical narrative that have to do with grief, that have to do with crying out to God because of pain, of brokenness, of suffering, of feeling a profound sense of an aloneness. I mean, there's even books, whole books. You have Job, which we're all probably have heard of before, maybe. Um, there's a whole book called Lamentations, right? In the book of Psalms, there are like a whole chapter, like a chapter, I guess, a section is what we'd call it, um, of songs of lament, you know? Um, and then we go to the Gospels, and we have Jesus, who screams out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you have, if you can, take this cup away from me. We have a Lord in the Gospel who weeps when he hears of the death of his friend. So that's a part of our story. We are story people, and Part of our story is allowing life to affect us and feeling that and being honest before God about that pain. And so in finding and looking for scripture to kind of ground us on um, this morning, I decided to go with just a verse. I find in grief we often talk too much. And so I thought it would just be nice to focus in on a few words. And it comes from Psalm 147. And 147 is really a psalm of praise. You know, the psalmist is just singing praise because God is restoring Jerusalem as a building, but also he's pointing to the fact that God is restoring their being, their heart, their suffering. And the psalmist writes in verse 3, he, referring to the Lord, 
heals the brokenhearted and binds us up, binds up their wounds. In this verse, um, the Hebrew um, for healing is a word called rafi, meaning to heal, to sew together, or to mend. And the verse bind comes from a Hebrew word called shabash, which means to tie, to bind, to restrain, to bondage. So in many ways, the scripture is telling us that our Lord is one who can take our broken hearts and bind and mend and bring them back together. Our God is one who can take our suffering, our pains that cause us wounds, and heal them. That our God is just that great, that loving and gracious. And I don't know about you, that gets me all kind of excited. Because life is hard. When I was a teenager and I would hear people often talk about um, God never gives you more than you can bear. And it would always trip me up. I may have been a pain of a brat teenager. Um, But in my mind, I was like, I don't think that's true because I'm feeling kind of heavy all the time. And I really don't want it. And it's really heavy. You know, like life is hard. But I think as I kind of sit with that more and more, I mean, that's why they were telling me I needed Jesus that I needed God, that I needed the body of Christ because life is hard and we need each other, you know? We we don't have to save ourselves. We have a Savior. We don't have to go through stuff by ourselves. We have a community. We have a story that teaches us how to fight for justice and mercy and kindness and healing in the world. So maybe the weight is really heavy, but I think the words now kind of mean to me like God provides all that we need to bear the everyday weights and burdens of life. And so I've been asked to talk about two ways that we experience grief and can practice lament in our lives. The first is a corporate, and then I'll move towards an individual kind of practice of lament in our lives. And for the corporate, I'd like to lean on some womanist theologians who have spent much more time than myself really thinking through scholarly and prayerfully about the importance of lament for our church. And I think we need this word because the American church, if we're really honest, I don't think we make enough space for lament. We don't spend enough time truly lamenting. And so Emily Towns, who is a womanist theologian and scholar and is the dean of Vanderbilt Divinity School, she writes that and spoke, a true corporate lament calls the entire community into the conversation. It gives us a way of saying, this is what I'm experiencing This is what is happening to me. This is what is happening to others. This is what we need, she says. This is what we want. And then she reminds us that the biblical laments have no guarantee that God will come through. The whole point of lament is to tell the raw and honest truth of what's going on in the community. It just so happens, though, that 
God always seems to come through. But for that, but for the corporate group of people, they don't know that at the time. They are acting in a way of faith. And in that way, I believe that lament is probably one of the highest forms of praise. She goes on to say, we get to know it by reading the Bible and seeing what happens next. We have the hindsight that God does come through. Um, she said, so what does it mean? What about us? As contemporary people of faith, to live in that kind of faithfulness. That I don't know what's going to happen, but I know I've got to tell the truth of how I feel. And I know I've got to go to God because God is the only thing, person, being, essence, or she says, whatever you find God to be in your life, that is God is the only one who can hold this and get us through. And then once you've got the truth and you've spoken the truth, then you can begin to move into the healing. But you've got to deal, we have to deal corporately with the pains of our nation, of our communities. Then another writer says, we struggle with this because the American church is shaped, and it's been shaped by a vision, limited by its experience of the world. And, as, and ours is an experience shaped by triumph, if we think about it, not tragedy. American cultural legends, myths, symbols, and heroes shape our understanding of ourselves in relationship to the world. The Long Ranger, Manifest Destiny, The City on a Hill, John Wayne, live in the heart of our American identity. This triumphal identity causes us to gravitate towards narratives of triumph even in our scriptures. For example, while African Americans have a profound relationship with the story of the Hebrews, Exodus from Egypt, that is not the identity-defining narrative of the general public in the USA. Harper goes on to say, our nation's formative story is that of those same Hebrews entering into their promised land. Our nation's founders forged that mythical comparison in the early years of our nation's history. She continues, what use does a culture built on the myth of triumph have for lament? Not much. As a result, when confronted with the outcomes of the realities of the world, racism, gender injustice, the degradation of God's creation, sin against immigrants and people of other religions, then we are dumbstruck and paralyzed. We don't know how to respond. And part of that is because we haven't spent time really doing the work of respiration, restoration and naming. The church has been way too guilty sometimes of the quick fix, right? We know there's a problem, so we fix it really fast and move on with Easter Sunday, right? Good Friday happened. Skip that Saturday. We're going to go ahead to the triumph of day where our Lord has risen from the grave. Or either we deny and just pretend like the brokenness and pain isn't there. And that doesn't do us any good either because the pain is still hurting. There are people who are still crying. There are people who still need for people who have hope and lean on the love of God to hear 
those cries and to join in those cries and to imagine a new world where those tears are moved to dancing, the scripture talks about. Another thing the church has been guilty of doing in handling grief and lament in a corporate sense is even discrediting the tears and stories of those who are hurting. And I think that is sin. And that doesn't move us forward. That doesn't heal and participate in the salvation work and healing that God is doing and inviting us to join into in the world. And so what happens is that then those teachings and this way of not creating space here for us to learn how to heal, how to lament and cry, ends up shaping our own individual stories. So I'm a pastor's kid, and grew up really close to the places where life hurts just because of the nature of my dad's ministry. And so most of all my life, I struggled with grief. But I also kind of bought into this American church narrative, right? That we have to, like, faith is about being strong. It's about pretending that everything is okay. It's about denying that there's any place of brokenness and wound, right? And just moving forward in the hope and the knowledge that God is. And I was doing okay with that. Burning out in ministry a lot. Um, probably not the healthiest me that I could have been most of my life. Until 2013. And I had to really confront the pain and the brokenness of my heart. My partner Cleve and I learned that we were going to have a baby girl. AJ is her name. And I immediately got a therapist um, and started doing a lot of reading because <laughs> I wanted to be a good mom. You know, I really felt like motherhood, parenthood is a calling, a vocation. And so I wanted to know how to do that well and then be my healthiest self. And so for about five months, I really did some hard work dealing with the grief of my past, um, doing some real kind of healing stuff and confront, confrontation. And in many ways, God was building me up. And then December 3rd comes. I'm at a church meeting because at this time I was a pastor still, and I didn't feel right. And I just dropped everything, left all my bags, just got my wallet and my keys, and was like, I'm going to the hospital now. And I got there and I realized I was in labor. <laughs> and I wasn't even fully five months in. So therefore, her lungs hadn't fully developed yet. And this was really backwards, right? Because I mean, my sister and I were literally just talking about a baby shower they were going to have for me. And now the doctor's telling me, you're going to be on bed rest for another four months. Um, this child is ready, your body is ready to let this child out. 24 hours of labor. My doctor tried her hardest to get AJ to stay within me. Life went so fast, Cleve and I had to make really quick decisions. Um, and so AJ came. And I held her on my chest for two hours and 45 minutes. We held her. 
And she took her last breath resting on my chest. And in some ways, that's a privilege because so many men and women don't get to have even that moment, right? And so we were thankful for just those two hours and 45 minutes. Later on that evening, I was in the hospital room by myself. Cleve stepped out. And for the first time, with AJ's body in the room, I began to wail and scream out to God. I think it's probably the first time in my life I truly lamented. I felt like the psalmist, and I said, God, if I'm going to get through this, you are going to have to show up. And I'm going to need you to show up not in a way of, like, I'm praying for you. Or remember, God does not give you more than you can bear. But I need for that Emmanuel thing to be real and for you to show that you are with me. I need love to be tangible. I need you to show up. And you know what? I also knew that if I was going to pray that boldly, then, then I was going to have to stay awake and look and kind of move with this risky, vulnerable expectation that lament and praying to this God who is expansive and a like bigger than all of our reason, that I was just going to have to pay attention and walk in faith that God's love would show up. And it did. God showed up in people who made sure, who were light to us, who made sure we didn't have to think about a meal for the next two weeks. It showed up in friends who called and said, how are you today? Realizing that each day, is a different kind of day and a different kind of answer to how are you. Elizabeth Gilbert, if any of you follow her, she's been sharing publicly her grief, and she posted something about, with one of her friends that was dancing. It's really cool. Um, and she talks about how our bodies hold grief, right? And so one way of praise and lament, these are my words, not hers, is to dance. You know, and to release that pain and to let it out bodily so we don't carry it. And, you know, you get me to a wedding reception and I'll be the last one on the dance floor. Um, but dance is not the way I released my pain. It was through art. Art was the bodily way I was able to create. Creating was healing for me. It allowed me to release the act itself of creating in the face of creating a life that was no longer. That was grace and love, to still be able to do that. The space to rest and heal and to hang out some more with my therapist, <laughs> right? Was love showing up. I think God shows up in these ways that are beyond our prayers and, you know, not beyond, but in addition to, right, our prayers and our time here and in community. There's wisdom. There's some knowledge out there about ways in which we can walk through grief in healthy ways that won't hinder life but help our lives really to thrive, right? Um, 
And so God showed up to me in those ways. And nine months later, after AJ, I resigned from my job in ministry and became a full-time artist. Living into a dream I'd had all my life and had been afraid to do. But during that time of healing, something new was being born in me through my honesty about my pain and my suffering and confronting it head on and not ignoring it or denying it. It created space for something new. It gave me the courage, right, to live this life that I had imagined with God long ago. There's an art form that I also discovered during that called kintsugi. And I don't know if any of you have heard it before. It's a Japanese art form where they take broken pieces of pottery and they mend it together with gold lacquer. And there's this idea that the pot is actually more beautiful having been broken. And the pieces slowly mend it back together with this gold. And that the pottery is actually more, is actually stronger than it was before it broke. I do this art form a lot um, in workshops and things, and it's true. Like, once you mend this, um, the bowls and the cups, like, they're strong. You can drop it and it's not going to break again. You know, and it's beautiful. And I, and I thought, like, that's what God does. When we're able to be honest about our places of brokenness and the pieces, allowing ourselves to be vulnerable before God. God does not just see us as beautiful and good when we're celebrating and make space for that. God sees us beautiful and good in our mess and wants to make, like, I think God really delights when we're saying, like, I trust you with this pain, with my whole self. And when we're able to name it, I do believe God will show up and do that kind of mending with the pieces of our lives. And we can't be strong. We can learn, like myself, how to live with the pain. The pain does not magically go away. I think about AJ every day. But I'm living. And by the grace of God, I'm even thriving in moments. And I think that's the good news for us all. That grief doesn't have the last say. The pains of this world do not have the last say. Racism, sexism, all of the things that are breaking our country, politics, all of these things, they don't have the last say. They don't have power over our tears, God does. But if we're honest, but we've got to be honest about them and lean into community, Lean into wisdom. I believe in restoration and healing and that this world can be made anew every day. Our lives can be made anew. So what are you feeling today? What pains, what griefs may you be possibly carrying? When was the last time you cried? What are the places of suffering within you that you've just been longing for a while to just release? Maybe 
you're the one who's in tune with the world around you and you hear all the time the suffering. And it is a lot. Like, what are those things? And then as you sit with those questions, I want to invite you to then lament and share them with God who wants to know all of you. And then watch the loving grace of Christ just work in your life and in our world. As we receive healing and then as we also the both and participate in the healing of the world. <sighs> Exhale. So I want to close with this blessing. It's a Franciscan blessing. And I'm going to adapt it a bit for us this morning and allow it to be the closing prayer. Let us pray. Emmanuel, God who is with us, bless us with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths and superficial relationships, so that we may live deep within our hearts. God, bless us with anger and tears at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people so that you may work in us for justice and freedom and peace. God, bless us with tears to shed for those who suffer pain, rejection, hunger, and war so that we may reach out our hands to offer comfort. Bless us with tears and the space to honestly share our hearts, pains, and sufferings with you. And then listen and watch for the ways in which you want to heal us. And finally, God, bless us with enough foolishness to believe that we can make a difference in this world so that we can do what others claim cannot be done to bring justice and loving kindness to all. Amen.